The following is a set of three devotions that were preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin on Sunday, October 24th, 2021. They were based on Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, and also explain various parts of the order of service we use at Good News. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Just a little bit later in this morning's service, you're going to hear a sentence that I think is quite remarkable. The sentence consists of just two words. First word is the subject, the word Jesus, and the second word is a verb. Now, we could probably fill in that blank with any number of verbs that would result in what we would consider to be a a remarkable statement. Jesus cured. Jesus healed. Jesus fed. Jesus calmed. Jesus exorcised, not exorcised, but exorcised someone of a demon that was possessing them. Jesus died. Jesus rose. None of those words is the word that goes in that blank that you're going to hear a little bit later in the service. Instead, what you're actually going to hear is that Jesus stopped. Why is that such a remarkable thing? Well, for the past several weeks, we've been looking at various sections from the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is on a mission. Jesus has a destination that he is headed toward. He is on his way to Jerusalem. There he is going to suffer. There he is going to die Three days later, he will rise from the dead. That is where Jesus is going. That is what is on his mind. That's what he's been talking about with his disciples, seemingly without end. And now Jesus is almost there. He's just outside of Jerusalem, and he's got a large crowd of people that is traveling with him, no doubt competing for his time and attention. And then as he walks along the road, he encounters one man, a man who is blind. A man who is sitting there begging. And the man calls out to Jesus. Many within the crowd try and tell him to be quiet. They rebuke him. They shush him. But the man cries out to Jesus all the more. And then we hear it. Jesus stopped. There are many more than just one gathered here in this room this morning. Just as is the case each and every week. And one of the things that I think is working against us as we gather here in God's house on a regular basis are all of those other gatherings that we take part in. Gatherings like the ones that take place in in movie theaters or in high school gyms or high school auditoriums. Gatherings in sports arenas or in lecture halls or in conference rooms. Each and every one of those gatherings can lead us to form expectations and assumptions that we then bring into this room for the gathering that we have on Sunday morning. Expectations, for example, that when we gather in God's house, really we ought to be impressed or or even entertained during our time here. Assumptions that maybe the purpose of gathering together is to receive some information that we didn't have before or some inspiration that may have been running low so that we can go back out into our lives and do a bunch of things even better and harder. Each one of those expectations or assumptions can serve as a a subtle rebuke to convince us that what we do, the time that we spend in this room, just isn't worth it. 
And so it's important for us to learn to expect and assume what Jesus teaches us to expect and assume. And what he teaches us to expect and assume is that when we do the things that we do in this room, Jesus still stops. He still shows up. Even as he continues to do all the other things that he is doing, even as he remains in charge of everything going on in the world, from the white blood cells in your body to the black holes at the farthest ends of the universe, even as he remains fully in control of every other power and authority that exists on earth, from the leader of the free world to the president of the local PTA, even as Jesus does all of that, he still stops. He still shows up here for us. And if that is the case, and, and it certainly is, then the first question we need to ask is not why or what, but who. In other words, not why do we gather here in God's house or what are we going to do when we're here together, but who, as in who do you think you are to be in the same room as Jesus? Who are you? Who am I? How do I define myself? And what about that definition gives me any sort of worth or value or status or credibility, let alone enough of those things to be in the same room as Jesus? People try and answer that question, of course, in many, many different ways. Who am I? People might say, I am smart. I am successful, I am talented, I am funny, I am cool, I am attractive, I am fit, I am principled, I am progressive, I am liberal, I am conservative. Rest assured, you can find someone who thinks that you are something for any of those things out there. But when we come in here, we better check each and every one of those things at the door because Jesus isn't impressed by any of them. Who are we to be in the same room as Jesus? You just said it four times in a row. Were you paying attention? I am baptized into Christ. What gives us the right to be in the same room as Jesus? Why would Jesus stop and show up here? Because we have been baptized into him. I don't care what sin says. I don't care what Satan says. I don't care what death says. We belong to him. His death to sin has become ours. His perfect life has become ours. And so it's no wonder that the very first thing that we do when we gather here in God's house is we remember our baptism. We name the name into which we were baptized, just as it happened when it actually happened, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we hear that family name, we also see the secret family handshake. We remember we're home. This is where we belong. And not only do we remember our baptisms, but each and every week we actually reenact our baptisms. We take that sinful nature that we inherited from our parents, and rather than running cover for it with our excuses and our justification and our minimization and our deflection, 
We take it and we drown it all over again by speaking the honest truth about ourselves as we confess our sins. Then in, in sweet words of forgiveness, as if spoken by Jesus himself, a completely new person is brought up out of those waters, holy, new, and clean, a child of God. Having remembered who we are and where we stand with God, we have the confidence to pray to him. We ask him for big things, very important things. We do so confidently, but all the while humble, knowing the only reason that he hears us. We say, Lord, have mercy, just as we'll hear that beggar said on the side of the road. And then finally, because Jesus tells us that the angels in heaven rejoice when just one sinner repents of their sins, because we can only imagine what must be going on in heaven when an entire room full of people repents of their sins. We sing the song of the angels. The song that is synonymous with the angels. It's kind of like the song that you and your college friends still just have to dance to every time it comes on the jukebox. It's kind of like that song that all of the fans here in the stadium when a, when a certain baseball player steps into the batter's box. It's the song that is synonymous with the angels. In fact, it's the only song to have ever come from angelic voices that echoed around earth's atmosphere. The night of Jesus' birth, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Heaven is rejoicing. We rejoice with them. Jesus has stopped. Jesus has shown up. And best of all, because we've been baptized, we know we belong. What do you want me to do for you? That was what Jesus asked. That blind man sitting there on the side of the road begging after he had stopped, what do you want me to do for you? I'm sure for a man whose eyes did not work, those words were music to his ears. It seems as though Jesus was pretty much writing a blank check, that whatever the man asked Jesus to do, Jesus was going to do it. And so the man did. He asked Jesus, I want to see, he said. Makes sense, I suppose. But if we wanted to be hypercritical, if we really wanted to overanalyze the situation, we might point out that in this one opportunity to have a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, the man asked for something that was physical, something temporal. Maybe he should have asked for something that was spiritual and eternal. Sort of like if, if we showed up here in God's house, hoping that Jesus would help us get the promotion that we're after, or meet the spouse we've been looking for, or be cured of some illness that is going on in our lives or in the lives of someone in our family. Well, regardless of what we might think about the man's request, contrary to what you're going to hear and what it might seem like, the man didn't actually receive what he asked for. Pay close attention when you hear it read. Yes, when he said, Rabbi, I want to see, Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. And right after that, the man was enabled to see. But the very next thing that happens is that the man does something surprising something that seems to be shocking and even downright awful on the face of it. The man disobeyed Jesus. He didn't go. He stayed. In fact, he followed Jesus along the road. 
You see, the man had thought that the thing he wanted most in life was simply to be able to see. But then he saw Jesus, and he realized that's what he wanted most. What do you want me to do for you? When Jesus shows up in this place, we don't actually hear those words spoken most weeks. But the second we acknowledge that he's here, it's almost as if we give him an answer to that question. We acknowledge his presence by saying, the Lord be with you and also with you, which is more than just wishful thinking. It's a statement of truth. And then right after that, we tell Jesus what we would like to receive during this time that we are together in what's known as the prayer of the day. The one that you just heard sort of epitomizes what we're hoping to receive each and every time we gather in God's house. Give us eyes of faith to see your Son that we may follow him on the way that leads to eternal life. Not just we would like to see, comma, Jesus, but we would like to see Jesus. And if that's what we want when we gather in God's house, then the answer will always be yes. Each and every week we hear three readings from Scripture, and they're really all designed to do the same thing. They're designed to help us focus on Jesus. There's a reason that they occur in the order that they do, and it's not that the order that they occur if we were to page through our Bible from start to finish. First, we hear a reading from the Old Testament. We stand with the people of God who lived before Jesus walked the earth. We hear the scriptures that were written from their perspective. And then we sing a song from their hymnal in the Psalm of the Day. Then we hear a reading from the portion of scriptures that was written after Jesus lived. We stand in their shoes and view Jesus' saving work as something that has already been fully and completely accomplished. But then we stand, and in fact, we literally stand with the people who lived when Jesus lived, as if he were among us just as much as he was among them. Differently, yes, but just as truly, just as fully. As we prepare to hear of his works and his words, we rise to our feet, we sing Alleluia because he's about to enter the room, and then after we have heard of his deeds, we address him as if he's here. We don't simply say, praise be to Christ. We say, praise be to you, O Christ. Three readings, each and every week, all designed to help us focus our attention on Jesus, to see him and what he has done for us. And not only that, but then week after week, as we make our yearly orbit around the sun, our eyes also orbit around each and every facet of Jesus' saving work. When you show up here on a weekly basis, you don't hear from me, whatever my pet topics or hobby horses happen to be. I don't step into the office on Monday morning, put my finger up into the wind and try and guess at what the most people are going to be interested in hearing. No, instead, the annual calendar that we use and the schedule of assigned readings known as a lectionary is designed to help us focus on each and every facet of Christ's saving work, his birth, his life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, each and every year. When we gather in God's house, I suppose there are all kinds of things that we could ask 
for from Jesus, all kinds of things that we could hope to receive. But there's nothing greater, nothing better, nothing more important than we could possibly receive than to simply see Jesus and what he has done for us. And if with that once blind man, that is the thing that we learn to realize we want most, we will never walk away disappointed. So Jesus stopped. And what a remarkable thing that was. But Jesus couldn't stay. That's why the man who can now see had to follow Jesus if he wanted to continue to look at him. As I mentioned, we already know that Jesus was on a a destination. He was on his way to Jerusalem. And in fact, the very next thing that happens in Mark's gospel is that Jesus arrives. He rides into Jerusalem on that donkey on Palm Sunday. Later that week, he would be arrested. He would suffer. He would die. Three days later, he would rise. So yes, remarkable that Jesus stopped, but Jesus couldn't stay. As we gather here, that's different. That has changed. There's no more work left for Jesus to do. All of that work of saving humanity, of paying for our sins, of defeating death, all of that work is done. It is finished. And so Jesus doesn't just stop. He doesn't just set foot in the doorway for a quick hello He doesn't even deliver a few inspirational comments and then move on to his next appointment. No, Jesus stops and Jesus can stay. In fact, Jesus wants to sit down with us. He wants to eat with us. In fact, he himself wants to serve as the host of this meal. He wants to serve us. In fact, he wants to serve us the very best that he could possibly give the sweet, sweet fruit of his labor. He wants to give us his very body and blood hidden underneath bread and wine and along with that body and blood, the priceless treasures that he used them to buy. Forgiveness, life, salvation. This is the menu. And so it's worth saying again as we prepare to sit down with Jesus to recognize that he is here, that he is with us. The Lord be with you and also with you. Again, more than wishful thinking. As we get ready to sit down with Jesus, we once again sing along with the angels. This time, not a song that once upon a time echoed through earthly air. This time, a song that always is echoing through the heavenly halls. The Bible tells us that angels in heaven, in the presence of Jesus, sing back and forth to one another, holy Holy, holy. And because we too are in the presence of Jesus, we sing that song along with them. The Bible also tells us that when Jesus showed up in Jerusalem for Palm Sunday, the crowds that were behind him and the crowds that were ahead of him sang back and forth to each other, Hosanna to the Son of David. Save us, Jesus. And because that's what we want Jesus to do for us too, we sing right along with them. In fact, that Palm Sunday song sort of transports us back to the beginning of Holy Week. We join those crowds in singing on Palm Sunday. Then right after we're done singing, we join Jesus' disciples in the upper room where he speaks the instructions and the promises that go along with this special meal. From the upper room, it's off to that hill located just outside Jerusalem where Jesus, the Lamb of God, gave his life for the sins of the world. 
we go through these things. Palm Sunday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, not as if those things need to be repeated over and over and over again because more work needs to be done. No, we repeat those things because the work is already done. We remember, we proclaim, we even celebrate the death of Jesus. Normally the part of a person's life that you want to forget, but we celebrate it because of what happened on Easter Sunday. We do this in remembrance of Jesus, not because the work still needs to be done, but because the work is finished, because the work worked. And so, yes, Jesus stops, but Jesus also stays to sit down and eat with us, to serve us the sweet fruit of all of his labor so that no matter what hunger we might be carrying as we come into this place, we will always leave full.